1: Welcome back to the Autism Helper Podcast. In today's episode, I am chatting with B. Moyes, who is a board-certified cognitive specialist and parenting coach. And today we are talking all about how to create an optimal learning environment in the home. I have been talking to so many parents recently who are either embarking on a homeschooling journey or really just wanting to level up the academic work that they are doing with their child at home, after school, or in the afternoon or weekends. And a lot goes into kind of the -the behind-the-scenes prep on how we get that environment. Environment ready. Today, Bee is sharing a lot of strategies that she uses in her own homeschooling journey. She's six years into homeschooling and loving it. I loved hearing about how she creates her environment and learn from missteps. She has some really great advice that I think will be so actionable for any type of parent who is trying to really level up what they are doing with their child at home. So let's go ahead and hear from B. Hi, B. Thank you so much for joining me.
2: Hi, thank you for having me.
1: So I am excited to talk about this topic, I, as I was just telling B before we pressed record, homeschooling and parents working with their kids at home is a topic that, especially in the past few weeks, I've gotten so many questions about, and it almost feels like more and more parents are, are wanting to either take that homeschooling journey or really wanting to step up what they're doing with their kids in the afternoons and evenings. Do you see that too, B, with parents that you're working with?
2: Uh, yes, <laughs> especially with, um, I think definitely the pandemic definitely kind of like change and refocus a lot of people and just also even options, just not having um, the alternative options. So homeschooling, some people were pushed into it and others just kind of felt like, well, I've always wanted to try it. Um, let's see how it goes. So there's definitely been an increase in my population with homeschooling. What do you think
1: is kind of the biggest you know, overwhelming idea when you kind of start that journey, or even if it's not homeschooling, but maybe doing more with your student, with your child, as far as like educationally in the afternoon, what's like the intimidating factor there?
2: Just, I think the idea of being a teacher, you know, because when we think of teachers and, you know, all the wonderful things that they do and the hard work that, you know, goes into being a teacher, when you really break that down, it's okay. So how do I teach? Like, how do I teach letters and numbers and sounds and, you know, ABCs, one, two, threes? Like, how do I teach about history and geography? Like, how do I do that? So it becomes this overwhelming feeling of how do I, you know, create a curriculum? Do I create a curriculum? You know, is gardening homeschooling? You know, how do I create structure? Like, there's just all these It can feel extremely overwhelming and like you're drowning in information of what you need to do, but do not know what to do.
1: Yeah, because there's a lot of, I mean, just like a typical classroom can look so many different ways. Homeschooling can look so many different ways Mm -hmm. and you don't need to do all the options that are available, you know? (laughs) Uh, So I think, you know, I like this idea today. We're going to talk about what the home environment looks like and not only do I, I like talking about this idea of homeschooling and, and parents doing more, but the environment is so important. I talk all the time about class structure and schedules and and what that looks like in the classroom. So, really bringing some of those same strategies into the home is so important. It's almost like setting the setting the foundation or setting the stage, right?
2: Hmm. 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 I think definitely we. I know when we initially um, started the homeschooling process. I just thought, okay, we'll, we'll just do it in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we'll just kind of set up shop. I'm right there. I'm always in the kitchen cooking, cleaning something. Um, so it seemed optimal, but it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So why did that not work?
2: It, it was too loud. <laughs> it oh <was> yeah. <laughs> just, there was just too much distractions going on. And you know, the, the kitchen is, is the drop-off zone. So then there would be like, the dogs are there. And then mm. it was like, connected to the backyard. So then someone was always letting the dogs in and out, in and out. Um, Cause you know, that's what dogs do. And, <laughs> and, you know, then I'm cooking and I'm like, cling, 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 cling. like there's all these noise and, you know, having, um, you know, having an autistic son, my son loves noise. So he's <laughs> not, he, he's not averse to it, but It's distracting. Yeah. You know, so like there's all these things happening and my daughter's running around. I mean, there was just so much because the kitchen's the hub. Yeah. And there was just so much happening. So then it's like learning can't be occurring right now. Like this is just not a good place for it. And we needed to do something different.
1: I think that's such a good point to make that to like learn what's working and what a lot of it's trial and error, whether you're a teacher or a parent, you know, it's like, hey, this isn't working and not not like living in that misery, being like, let's do something different then.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Because you have an idea of, I don't know, I guess, I don't even know where I got my idea from, but like I had like this idea of, you know, I'll be like in the kitchen and I'll kind of glance over and ask my son, how are you doing? Is everything okay? As and you're you like know- side. Silent-
1: Stirring soup or something, <laughs> absolutely, and baking
2: cookies at the same time. So, and he would say, "Oh, mother, I'm doing so great." No, thank you, right now. And my daughter would be like, "Oh, this is wonderful," because um, she was younger at the time. So, I had this ridiculous idea in my head, and what ended up um, actually happening the real the real picture was chaos. It was my son running in circles around this kitchen island, me saying, Jake, you need to sit and do this. And Abby's laughing because she thinks this is a joke. Um, (laughs) You know, and of course, the dogs, you you have to include the dogs. (laughs) It was just, it was chaotic. And I felt defeated. And I felt like, okay, so I can't do this. Like, I cannot do this. What I thought I could do is not it. And, and I felt like a failure because I really wanted this to work and it wasn't working in a traditional setting, school setting for my son. And I felt like I had no other options. And I just, I don't know. I just felt like there's gotta be a better way to do this, but I don't know how, and I don't know why it's not working. So I had to regroup and reset and try a couple of different things and not put so much pressure on myself to make whatever idea that I have in my head work. Like it was like, it, it may not work and it's okay.
1: Yeah. And it doesn't mean the whole idea was bad. It just meant like that interpretation or that strategy. That's such a great point.
2: Yeah. That strategy was bad <laughs> <laughs> for us, you know, that strategy it for us, it just did not work. And I think, you know, the most difficult thing about being a parent is not being able to recreate whatever you think worked for you in childhood in your, you know, in your parenting journey. Yeah. You know, it's like, Oh, I, I, I could have learned in this environment. Like you plop me down. I'm good. So (laughs) I assumed it could be the same thing, but in reality, no, it wasn't, it wasn't that at all.
1: So let's fast forward. What does your homeschool setup look like right now?
2: So now It is utopia. We have arrived. We have arrived. (laughs) Yes. We have definitely arrived. So we actually have a separate room dedicated to um, everything academic and educational. It's also our homeschool slash library room. So my son's homeschooled, but my daughter is not. She didn't want to be, and I respected her choice. And so what happens is, like, in our bookcase, one section is completely dedicated to Everything pertaining to science, ELA, language arts, um, music, sensory stuff, OT, speech, everything is dedicated to how our day look and it's organized. And it's a room away from everybody. Mm-hmm. It's a room away from <clears throat> the rest of the noise and the chaos. So when you enter this room, there is an immediate feel for, oh, learning is going to occur in this room education is happening in this room so it's not a dual purpose room
1: yeah the expectations are different
2: the expectation is different the setting is different and there's like this environmental trigger like as soon as you enter this room this is what occurs in this room there's no screens there's no electronics so it really is 100% focused to peace, quiet education. And we also do like, um, we'll play chess in that room. Like, mm-hmm. So everything that occurs in this room is structured around learning a new skill, learning something um, that I haven't done before, reading, writing, sensory OT. So it is 100% dedicated to um, learning. And yeah. my daughter reads there all the time. And when they go in there together, sometimes my son will be working on something and she'll be working on something and they're quietly playing in that room. And it, it took a while for us to get to this rhythm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point too, that it, I'm like, everyone's probably listening. Is like, that sounds amazing. But like, that didn't happen <laughs> probably the first day that you worked in that room. You know, it takes time. No,
2: no. It, yeah, it takes time. And it also takes intentional teaching of what this room is for. Because, you know, my son loves to move. So initially when I was setting up this room and I had the bookcases up and I was like, okay, what, how do I want it to feel? Because it was an empty space and I didn't have tables set up yet. He would just run in a circle and cause he loves to move. <laughs> He's <Yeah>. a seeker. <laughs> um, so then I had to pull back and say, no, if I let this room become this movement room, it won't be the study room. It won't be our school. Like it won't be like, it's not a classroom environment. There isn't, you know, you don't run in the classroom, you run outside. So I had to intentionally place things, you know, on his path to keep him away from running, like to keep him away from like trying to go from here to here to here to here. And that's how we landed to where what we have now.
1: Yeah, because you're, I mean, if you have that big open space, I mean, of course, it's like asking, like, hey, run around here, (laughs) you know?
2: (laughs) Yes, I know that now.
1: Um,
2: (laughs) Because he's a little, he's older. So I assume, I'm like, well, no, he's not going to be running. Like, clearly he understands. But nope, nope, there was running. There was lots and lots of running. So we had to, you know, there's like a beanbag in the middle of the room, um, which they love to crash on. And it's my, you know, daughter's favorite cozy place to sit and read. There's a swing in the room. And the swing is intentional because of my, you know, my son needs sensory seeking things. So that kind of helps him calm down when we take breaks. Um, there's like a little corner where we do sensory exploration, where if he feels like having a fidget spinner or something to fidget with, and there's all these different things in a box that he can kind of go to and do that for a little bit and then come back. <clears throat> so it's just been a learning curve of what is it that you need, when do you need it, and how do we put it in this space so you can, you know, retrieve it when when you want, but also keep academics as the priority for this room.
1: Yeah, and like you said, being intentional that every all of those things you might need are right there, they're ready to go yes. if we need them.
2: Yes, That's which great. did not happen in the kitchen because it was like, oh wait, can you go get the pencil yeah. on the
0: other side <laughs> of the room? Yeah, exactly.
1: Well, what advice do you have for parents who maybe don't have a I guess separate room is great if you have that you know opportunity in your household. If you don't have a whole separate space, what advice do you have for kind of recreating the, that shift in expectations and that cue that this is a learning space somewhere else in your house? How can we like create a nook or something like that?
2: Oh, I I love what you just said with the nook. So obviously we do have a separate space for that, but we did not always. Um, In our previous home, we actually used our formal dining room as our homeschool room. And no one uses a formal dining room.
1: (laughs) You weren't having dinner parties every evening? (laughs) Apparently
2: not. I don't know what was going on. Um, So we used our formal dining room for that. And it was away from the crowd, but still, again, there was this intention. And it, every time someone would walk into our home, there they would say, "This looks like a classroom." <laughs> and I wanted that feeling, like I wanted you to get like a like a environmental cue of this is what's going on here. So you can use another space. You can, you know, dual purpose a space where again it's away from everyone and they can get things done, or if it's a space around everybody what time you're doing this learning Mm
1: -hmm. because
2: if we could have done it in the kitchen if we were doing it like 7 p.m yeah you know like it would have worked just fine or if I was able I I do not like to wake up early so (laughs) (laughs) if I was able to wake up at like 7 a.m and we could get our school because at that time my daughter was so young she'd sleep in yeah um it could have happened. Like there are there were ways we could have made make it work, but I had to be honest with what I could do and I was not going to wake up at yeah. six AM. Like I was not going to do that just to start the homeschooling process. So you can use your kitchen, you can use your dining room, uh, a corner in your living room. Just really look at that space and say, how do I make this space look like that? You get a little desk, a table, you create some timers, just really visualizing, you know, what do I want it to look like? And then try it in that space. And if it's not working, it's probably not ever going to work. Yeah. Just because of all the other distractions that's going on, but any space can work. It doesn't have to be like a a special space that you, you have in your home.
1: And do you think a lot of these same strategies can be used as like for a homework spot too? You know, a lot of parents struggle with getting homework done and oftentimes it it's kind of the situation you said earlier, it's the middle of the kitchen and the TV's on and all this. And of course, you know, homework is in a fight. What advice <laughs> do you have for like the, the homework situation?
2: So same, same thing with <laughs> homework. Um, because my daughter can actually work in noise. Like she she actually thrives on it. She likes it because she's like, it's background and it makes sense for her and it mm-hmm. kind of calms her brain. So she actually can do her homework downstairs in the kitchen and while all the other noise and things are happening, like she's okay with that. Learn how your child learns. That is the most important thing. When you're trying to force your particular style on a child and it doesn't match with, you know, who they are, it's always going to be a battle. And you also have to teach your child how they learn because they may think, oh, no, I love it when, when, you know, I'm around and there's all this noise and distraction, but then they don't get anything done. Mm
0: -hmm. So it's
2: like, you may like it, but it isn't optimal. So rule number one is learn what is the best case scenario for that child to learn. That's number one. Second, the homework station environment need to have everything that the child will need to limit distractions and also to limit the... Oh, I'm going to take a break. And now I've forgotten because I'm putting a whole, you know, 5,000 piece Lego piece together. (laughs) It's happened. Yeah, Um, that's
1: a very specific example. I can imagine that's happened. Yeah.
2: (laughs) This Death Star needs to be put together right now. (laughs) So, like, really, you have to have everything readily available in that space. And depending on the age of the child, like my kids still need me to be actively involved in answering questions and responding. You have to be available as well. Yeah. So, you know, if the child is stuck on question number two with this new math nonsense, um, (laughs) they need you to know, like they need you to help them figure out this new math that's new to them and new to you as well. (laughs) Yeah. so it's, it's that stuff, like making sure that everything is as optimal as it can be without it, you know, being too intrusive in your own family. So limiting distractions, removing yourself from, you know, an environment that's not productive, learning the style that works best for your kid. Maybe they're, they're in the kitchen or the dining room or wherever, but they have noise canceling headsets. So they're around, but they're not processing the auditory feedback you know they're yeah. just kind of visual and some kids are okay with that some kids can do you know oh i can see it but if i'm not hearing it i'm fine yeah. other kids can hear it but they don't need to see it so that yeah. could be they're in another room with the door open they hear what's going on but they're not ver- you know visually seeing all the stuff that's going on but things like that
1: that, you know, and I love all these like strategies. They sound simple and like, oh, yeah. What, you know, okay. <laughs> but these are the things that make or break the success. Like something as simple as like, like you said, having all the supplies there. That's, yeah. that's like going to be a deal breaker if if homework's a fight or not. And, you know, because sometimes we have those kids that are like, well, I got to go get this pencil or I, I need yes. coloring, coloring pencils and I need eraser, And, and then we're up, you know, 55 times. But if we think how we can, be proactive and, and kind of set our kids up for success. It's going to be so much smoother, whether it's homeschool or homework or whatever.
2: Absolutely. absolutely. And I love the yeah. advice yeah. that
1: you said when you said not only learn, you know, we learn how they learn, but then teach them. And when you're mm-hmm. saying that at such a good point, because we want later our kids to, to recreate that themselves. Like, you know, as adults, we do that all the time. When you are in that, like, get stuff done mode. Like I know I can't have my a TV on. Absolutely not. But I also know I have to put my phone on do not disturb or else I like, I get a text, I touch it. Like, so I know that about myself now. And we want our kids eventually to have those same, you know, self-advocacy strategies too.
2: Yes. And we we forget that we have to teach them that. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's the most interesting thing about being a parent is realizing how much teaching you have to do when you don't even realize that this is something that you were taught at some point or you figured out or through whether it's trauma or just experience or whatever, you learn how to do this thing, but someone taught it to you. So you have to teach your child, you know, what may seem like basic information, but it's not basic to them because they haven't learned it yet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So true. Let's talk about scheduling for, for homeschooling or even, you know, I, I've been lately also talking to a lot of, er, you know, early childhood parents who are like, my kid's in pre-K till noons, but I want to do something with the afternoon. Um, so what, what are your tips for scheduling out the day or a chunk of time to get some activities done?
2: I love the 20 minute schedule of like 20 minutes, you do this, 20 minutes, you do that, 20 minutes, you do this and putting, you know, physical movement in between that, like Mm -hmm. definitely inserting some form of sensory activity, walking activity, outside activity, um, depending on the age of the children. It's most difficult when kids are young because they're like, I don't know what to do. So they're like, now what? Now what? (laughs) Now what? (laughs) Um, But like when you have preschoolers and you can send them on a scavenger hunt of, Complete and total nonsense. You know, it's not anything that you need, but you'd like, okay, I want you to go count, you know, how many windows we have in the house. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and this is something like you could do. I used to do this with my um with my kids when they were little, little, where I would put stickies on all the windows and I would say, I want you to go collect all the stickies that are on the window. And some stickies would be a little bit higher. So then it would be like, oh how do i get this sticky down you know yeah. so then it created an additional it was giving me time i just yeah. needed time
1: <laughs> um i love that you're saying this example because i do these same things with my kids my kids are little all the time all yeah. the time even if i'm like making dinner i'm like i just need you out of here for a little bit and i'm like yeah. everyone go find three things in the house that start with the letter b and then they're yeah. just they're gone you know they're like gone. i'm like yeah and then they're also problem solving they're independent yes. you know and they're moving you know they're not yes. sitting
2: so you're, you're creating so many different developmental things that's so great and, and beneficial and helpful to, you know, your child. And I have a, at that point, I had a nonverbal autistic child. So to him, receptively speaking, he was just like. I can follow instructions. Mm-hmm. I can get the stickies. I don't have to talk. I don't have, I can get the stickies. It's like, okay. And he was such a great problem solver, dangerously solving the problem, but, <laughs> but he solved it. Um, you know, I'm like, we do not need to stand on the ball to get the sticky, you know, <laughs> yeah. like well, let's, let's, let's do something differently. Um, but he would do things like that. And he'd be so proud because he'd come back with all the stickies. And, you know, and my daughter would come back with like two stickies because he didn't care; he was just trying to win.
1: Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> but it would give me like twenty to twenty to thirty minutes easily, yeah. And they don't even realize, you know, that they're doing something that is developmentally great for their brain, and it's appropriate, and it's problem solving, and they're learning colors, and you know, um, it's things like that you could do to create the environment to work for you and create structure when they're little when they're older and you're talking about like now the older school kids they can help you know so like Mm -hmm. when they get home I'm a big advocate for you know here's your um, I put these on an index card like things to do like here's your chores for the afternoon Mm
0: -hmm. and it's
2: more like a hey here you go you take this chore you know card and you do what's on it it removes me as a micromanager because I'm not like, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? I'm not doing that. And it gives them a sense of independence of, okay, wow, you're trusting me to execute these things without micromanaging or overlooking it. And I, you know, most of the time I don't go back and double check that it was done the way that I wanted to. I mostly ask, did you do it? And, you know, they're like, yeah, it's checked off. So I did it. Now, the next day I will check <laughs> to mm-hmm. see how it yeah. was done because <laughs> I want to make sure that my kids understand that I'm always proud of whatever work that they do as long as they try. You know, yeah. as long as you tried and you put your effort into it, I am proud. But if there was no effort and you yeah. didn't try, okay, now we have to have a conversation.
1: I um, love what you said, though, not to interrupt you about like it doesn't have to be done your way. Like sometimes yeah. our kids do something that's just different than how we would have done it. And I'm yes. I'm so guilty of this as I'm saying this. 'Cause I'm like, you know, type A. So I'm like, Well, you shouldn't fold things like that. You shouldn't do it like that. And it's like, well, who cares? Like they, they're the effort is what we want to reinforce, not like yeah. this certain idea of how it has to be accomplished. Yeah,
2: I am such a reinforcer of the effort because I'm I'm with you. I am type A. The only way to do it is the B way. There is no other way. Like any you you can fold laundry wrong. You can put dishwash the dishes in the dishwasher wrong. You can sweep wrong, like
1: everything. <laughs> you I feel you. I, <laughs> feel you. I feel you.
2: So I have to, you know, always keep myself in check and realize, you know, all I'm doing with this constant critiquing and correcting is killing their self-esteem and really discouraging them from wanting to help. And it's not about helping me. It's about helping themselves because now they won't be sure in the things they can do and who they are and what they're capable of. And that's never, ever, ever the goal or my intention. So I have to pull myself out and just say, here's your index card. You get these things done. After you do these things, you get your screens. After you get your screens, here's your second evening index card, which is, you know, brushing your teeth, combing your hair, you know, taking a bath or well, we're in shower now. We've, we've yeah. officially upgraded to full showers. <laughs> we're, we what have a, what a great
1: parenting milestone.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we have, yes, for cleaning bathtubs. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, you that's your routine. So I like to kids to be as independent as possible while while I'm still helping them figure out what to do. So the index card is still my voice and me saying, here's what to do, but I'm not micromanaging it. And that creates, you know, a schedule at the end of the day and it creates structure. So we did it differently when my kids were little now that they're, you know, I guess big kids, I don't know, like they're in (laughs) elementary. So they're like almost big kids, but not really. Um, We've transitioned into that. And, and I think, you know, so far so good. It's been working out really well. That's
1: great. I like how you've been talking kind of throughout this whole conversation about embedding breaks and movement and things like that. Um, What advice do you have for parents? I mean, and teachers too, on, on how often, our kids need breaks and how we, what What are some signs that our kids are giving us that they need a break and that they've been sitting for too long?
2: The fidgeting.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> the fidgeting. Like, I mean, honestly, and, then, and here's the thing. The child requiring movement is going to be based on that child. Like everyone requires different level of movement. Like my son needed, needs it all the time. Cause he, he chronically moves. And I look into my experience in my household and I'm looking at my husband and I'm looking at my daughter and my son and myself, my son and I have a very similar movement schedule. We basically have 20 seconds before we need to move. Like that's, that's just where, that's where we're at. Um, where my husband and my daughter, I promise you, I feel like they could sit there for at least 20 hours. I really do. Um, <laughs> maybe it's not, maybe I'm exaggerating because I need to move every 20 seconds. I don't know. But luckily, he will not be listening to this podcast. So, <laughs> but so I think it really is watch the child and their movement. Like, watch when they start to become fidgety, when they lose focus. We somehow equate movement with lack of focus. Movement Mm -hmm. helps children focus. So when they're fidgeting and they're moving and you're like, no, 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 stay focused. They're literally screaming out to you, you know, with their body that I'm trying to focus, but all I can think about right now is moving. So Mm -hmm. allow me to move so I can focus again and watch the fidget movements, like watch it. Like when the kids start to become a little bit too wiggly you know, that may be a cue and a sign for them to move. Now, if you have more of the, you know, 20 hour sitter, um, they may not need movement as much, but it is still needed. So maybe they're the ones that could go, you know, oh, you know, you've been sitting down for 20 or 30 minutes. Wow. Let's do some movement. So I would say maximum 20, 30 minutes, but really um, figure out what, that child can actually do because just because a child is sitting and quote unquote, looking like they're paying attention. What if they're, you know, dazing off, you yeah. know, like, what if they're like daydreaming, which my daughter is very prone to. Yeah. So for her, she's sitting, but she's gone. She is not here. She is in Narnia. I don't know what's going <laughs> on. Like she is, she's gone. Um And movement brings her back.
1: Okay. Love that. And I, you know, I, when you're talking about the fidgeting, it's like our impulse and like reaction as a parent and, you know, as a teacher too, is like, like, stop it, stop fidgeting, go, go yeah. back to what you're doing. Yeah. And like in that moment, let's say like an example here, let's say you're in the middle of a worksheet or reading a book or whatever and you, you know, your kid has the ants in the pants thing. Yeah. What, what kind of like quick movement break do you utilize to kind of give that movement opportunity, but then kind of come back to work? Like, because sometimes we think movement break means like, let's take a 10 minute this or, but it doesn't always have to be like, a five minute go noodle video it can be something shorter.
2: It can be. Um, again, I'm trying to make sure trying to appropriately give advice based on yeah. the age. Because everything is based on age. So, I yeah, so
1: kids. yeah.
2: Yeah, everything's so different. When when my kids were younger, we used to do the jump up and down thing. And it would be like in the middle of if I see it was just too many things, I'm like. Uh, Abby, Abby, jump up and down, jump up and down, jump up and down. And it was just such a little short song. Now sit back down and getting that out of their system. It would be like, it's literally a 20 second song. Um, And they would just start to jump up and down and get really, really excited. And they would do it violently sometimes, but in that 20, <laughs> in that 20 second span, they really got whatever it is that they needed out of, their system. And then they were good. And then they were able to come back and do more stuff as they've gotten older. And I still see the need for that. They will not do the jump up and down song anymore. I'm so sad by it, <laughs> um, but we have moved on where now I typically give them something to do like, Hey, um, love, but can you go get this in my room for me and bring it back where it's movement? It yeah. is intentional movement, but it is go to the room. I I have ADHD, so my glasses are never within reach. Um, so I'm like, can you go get my glasses for me? And she'll go up the stairs, come back, bring the glasses, and that's maybe a minute tops, honestly and truly. Um, same thing for my son. It's movement. It's you know one minute at the max, but it it refocuses them. Like it's movement without feeling like oh, let's go for a walk around the neighborhood for 20 minutes and then yeah.
0: come
1: back. Yeah, yeah. So oh, like I love that. those two examples and that how, how different those two can look, but they can both, depending on the age and skill set mm-hmm. of your child, can fulfill that same need, that it doesn't, you know, can look so many different ways.
2: Yeah.
1: Awesome. Oh my gosh, B, I could just like chat with you all day about this. Well, I, <laughs> these have been such great ideas, I think for both parents and teachers on just simple strategies to to make that environment really optimal for learning at home. And I know, um, this will be so helpful for, for listeners. So thank you so much.
2: No, thank you for having, having me. I, I hope it's helpful. I try. Um, that's my whole goal, right? Is to what's worked for us, what I have given to my client population, what I've been talking about all these years. And hopefully you try it. And if it doesn't work, try something else. And, you know, it is a learning curve. Like, it's definitely not something you're going to get the first time. You may. And if you do, yay, you. Like, Yay. <laughs> Um, But you may not. And it's, you know, we've been in this, you know, journey for six years. So now we have a rhythm and a dance that works really well for our family and changes don't really like, you know, impact us the same way anymore because we know what to do. And it took years to get here. So just to understand that it's going to take years to get to an optimal space or time or, you know, solution, but you'll get there. You'll definitely get there.
1: Yeah, well, where can people go to um, learn more from you, B?
2: Well, I, well, well, I'm, I'm, I'm everywhere. But you know, um, <laughs> you can find me on, you know, my website at beatricemoist.com. I am also on IG at a child like mine, and I'm on Facebook at B Moist. So, Great. But if you go to my website, you'll find all the other outlets. And I have and a we, YouTube and we will, channel.
1: We will link all of those in our show notes as well, so people can go to the show notes and, and get any of those links and channels. Yeah, Yeah.
2: my YouTube channel is um, Unique Parenting, and I teach and give information about what to do with unique learners. Great. Well, thank you so much, B. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper Podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback.